to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. Hey, what's good, y'all? It's uh, another episode of Apostates Anonymous with me, Matthew J. DiStefano, author, podcaster, social worker. What else do I do? Hip-hop. I got an album forthcoming sometime in 2021. As soon as I get my act together and finish it up, it's 99% done. And uh, there you go. So um, I'm excited for another episode today. We have uh, we finally got Brenda Marie Davies uh, scheduled we got a call coming up here in about three minutes. It's going to be a good one. We're going to get into her channel, God is Gray. Talk about that. We're going to talk about Sean Foyt and Bethel. We're going to talk about the state of Christianity. And uh, we're going to have a good time. And we're going to kick off 2021 with a bang here. So before we get into all that, just of course, as as I always mention, my Patreon is how I pay my bills, how I how I make a living. Uh, in addition to doing social work, I, I do try to uh, to make it as a writer, and it's a struggle and a grind, but don't don't weep for me. I'm doing all right, but only because I have wonderful patrons. So if you go to patreon.com slash mjdistefano, link in the show notes, you can sign up for as little as $1 a month, and you will unlock exclusive content that is just for y'all, just for patron supporters. I've got ebooks on there, a couple free ones. Um, one that's my lectionary blog series that I did in 2020, and that has now been compiled into a PDF. I've also got exclusive videos and things like that. Plus, you get the uh, to to know that you're supporting a content creator like myself. So, my goal is 100. We've been wavering around 90, 91, something like that. So, I'd like to get 100 of y'all subscribed. That would be fantastic. That would help me out bigly, bigly. Uh, one more announcement. Well, two announcements. The Bonfire Sessions Winter is coming out next week. Make sure you uh, head on over to my Amazon page, which I will link to in the show notes. In a week, the Bonfire Sessions Winter will complete the first year of the Bonfire Sessions booklets. And uh, it's 99 cents on Kindle. If you don't have Kindle, fear not. In April, a paperback edition with a forward by Derek Day will be coming out. Um, April 20th, I believe, on Choir. And speaking of the bonfire sessions, we will hopefully be restoking the the bonfire uh, podcast because Michael is, as of this moment, cancer free. He does not have cancer any longer. The chemo and the uh, the surgery went well, and has uh, there's no evidence of disease. So as soon as he finishes up his house, uh, sometime in March or April, we're going to be starting that podcast up again. So go to thebonfiresessions.net. And uh, you could check out the old episodes, catch up before we start it up again. So without further ado, let's get into it with Brenda Marie Davies. Hello. Hi, Brenda. It's Matt DiStefano. How are you? I am not too shabby. Just a hectic morning, but I'm excited to talk. Well, I mean, you are a mother of a of a small child, so it's always hectic, yes? Um, 
Yeah, he's incredibly rambunctious. He's like a little boy's boy in the most cliche way. <laughs> okay, well that 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 works. Um, how is uh, how's your new year been? I know it's been early on, so we're not too far out of 2020, but it's it's going okay. I hope. <laughs> yeah, it's going well so far. I really um, just want to. I'm I'm like cautiously optimistic about this year coming. I think that we have so much work to do. Like, you know, if 2020 was a year of 2020 vision and like having all of these great cultural awakenings, like with Black Lives Matter and Church Two and all these other different like mobilizing accountability sort of things that entered my consciousness as an individual, then I feel like 2020 is like where we got to get to work. So it's both like wonderful to be out of that mess, but now it's like, all right, let's hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, and I, I cringe every time someone says that, uh, you know, 2020, 20 or 2021 cannot be as bad as 2020. And I'm like, hold on now. Let's, let's make sure <laughs> that we, do, we don't, you know, um, we don't jinx things here. <laughs> yeah. And depends on what you, your concept of bad is. Like, I'm such a social butterfly. This year has been super hard. And I'm also very independent. And I've been with my partner just like in our house trapped. And it's just everything is so out of character for me. It's been very expansive, though, on the inside. Yeah. And I will say I'm an introvert. And it's it's even getting old for me like this has been I mean we're pushing a year now almost on the lockdowns it'll be a year in March here in California mm-hmm. you're in California too right yeah 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 so and it, it, that's a little much for even us um solid introverts <laughs> what a month would you say it started to feel like time to see humans that's a great question I It's been like, it's been wavering. I don't know if it like hit and then it stayed because it's kind of been on and off. Right now I'm over it. It took, it took a while. Like I stay at home and do a lot of my work at home. Um, And so my daughter, you know, she got taken out of school and and put on uh, distance learning, which was pretty cool for a while. And uh, then we both were kind of over it. (laughs) It's gone, it's gone in waves. I don't know. What has it been for you? It was probably like day one you were over it, right? Yeah, day one, I was over it for sure. But also, (laughs) you know, it was a cool moment of reckoning for me because even living in Los Angeles is such a difficult city and the profession I've chosen is also difficult, like emotionally and spiritually, all of it. So, you know, like this morning I woke up to an email saying I'm a Satanist and a whore. (laughs) So it's like, that's my normal life and I'm fine with that. But like, bouncing into the world and being around people that know me and love me off of the internet, you know, has usually been my source of restoration. And then traveling as well has been a big source of restoration for me. So usually about every three or four months, I would start going stir crazy in LA and feel like I had to go somewhere. So I'd visit friends in different cities or countries and not having that outlook and just being forced to sit in that uncomfortable feeling was not fun by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, I did recognize like, wow, this must be a really important moment of growth for me internally, because this is very different. Yeah, well, it's good that you can recognize that. Let's go back to this comment. I mean, for those who don't know, I think most of my listeners would know that, that you do things online, but talk more about that and why. I mean, 
that's a really horrible thing to call someone. I've I've not been called a whore, but I have been called a <laughs> Satanist and a Satan worshiping fill in the blank. Um, do you is this from your YouTube channel? I imagine. Yes, definitely. My fans, <laughs> my anti fans. <laughs> your fans, yes. Um, is it every day? Do you get something? Are are you are you getting hate mail every day, or is it like weekly? Well, I just did this amazing thing for Jubilee. Have you ever heard of the, their middle ground segment that they do? No. Um, Jubilee is a online, like on YouTube, basically, and they have millions of subs and. I love the concept. They take three people on each side of an argument and force them essentially to have civilized conversations, which is something that we don't usually have to do, um, you know, intuitively when we're online, even though I try to fight for people to behave that way. So I was there with, it was like three progressives versus three conservatives. And we talked about all the typical things like Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ and uh, whether the Bible is inerrant, that kind of stuff. So because of that, I got a lot of brand new uh, subscribers and people really excited about the message of myself and God is Gray. And with it came the dissenting voices of hating what I'm doing. So it's just been like a brand new onslaught. I think that came out like two weeks ago. So it's all positive in my book, but it has been like, oh, here they are. They found me again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That comes in waves too. So this whole thing was set up as like a, not necessarily a debate, but kind of an, an online forum for people like yourself and then people on the other side of the proverbial aisle coming together and having, it was a, I guess, peaceful conversation, right? But out came the trolls. Yeah, it's like online um, or in the moment we had this producer named Erin. She's awesome. And her whole thing was like, I'm not here to humiliate you. This isn't about winning an argument. This is about telling your story and like hopefully just opening your eyes up to what the other side is thinking and believing. And she mentioned that if anyone goes out of control or needs a break to like storm away that they can do so. So she created and Jubilee creates a really safe space for that, which I thought was really dope. But um, (laughs) then you really have, you know, you can't have any responsibility over how people react when they see it and they get on their own computers. Obviously it becomes much less civilized and degrades from there. Sure. Well, I just wish that people understood that what they're doing sounds like um, really Jewish in how Judaism approaches um, their faith and in, in getting people together and dialoguing and midrashing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's ironic, I guess, that then you get certain brands of Christianity that loses their mind over that and then has to lash out when it's like it's your tradition that set this up like (laughs) the the christian tradition comes from the jewish tradition and it's all been kind of imbued this way throughout uh, the entire faith and and then you guys don't even know that because i guess you're just too ignorant to know that this is how it's supposed to work yeah and i think the interesting thing is i'm not going to be arrogant and say i understand the internal battle or like heart of anyone else but at the same time I come from the evangelical 
background and I once was on that camp, like, and I always tell people I was like the poster child for purity culture. I organized the purity ceremony at my church when I was 15. I was doing anti-abortion artwork. I was uh, arguing with my biology, biology teacher for a six day earth. So I was the epitome and that's been such a blessing because I'm not coming from a place where I've seen something from the outside and is like, oh, there's problems here. I'm going to, you know, destroy it or rip it all apart. I'm just returning to these toxic spaces and these toxic theologies to just simply really tell people what I've learned and what it is to be on the other side. So I don't want this to sound arrogant, but I feel like when progressives and evangelicals are sitting down in conversation or conservatives, they I really just wish they would sit and listen and learn because I really do know almost everything they're going to say. I am very rarely surprised by anything they say because I know the script. Um, and they're trying to figure out what we are and trying to demonize what we're doing as progressives before even actually getting to know us. Um, there's this woman, I have to watch more of her content because she's driving me a little crazy. Her name's Alyssa Childers. Have you heard of her? First, I don't know if it's Divine Providence, but I I knew you were going to say that name. Yes, really, I've, I've seen I've seen some things. <laughs> okay, yeah. So like, all respects and love to her, whatever. But like, it's just so annoying because it's like she had one experience in a very specific section that she calls progressive Christianity, and she's on this path of demonizing it. And then people like Ali B. Stuckey and other people that are just determined to hate us without knowing anything about us get to kind of latch onto her narrative and decide they know what we are. And I just also talked to this guy, Ruslan, who's uh, another, uh, Ruslan rather, another YouTuber. And I was trying to explain to him that it's not a clearly defined thing. We're really not a monolith. Like I just called this being on my prodigal son journey and coming back home. And I'm just telling people what that home looks like to me now, but we don't have tax exempt status. We don't have buildings. Like we don't have a doctrinal belief system that we're all supposed to adhere to. I, I see progressives as really just a large group of people that are allowing themselves to question these doctrines for the first time in their lives. And there's leaders in that space. And I'm honored to be one of those people. And, um, and they're rising up as leaders on their own. And, but yeah, for Alyssa to be like, well, this is what it is. Cause I went to a progressive church once. It's like, well, girl, I don't even know what progressive Christianity is. So can you stop telling everybody what it is? You know what yeah, I mean? It's kind of, and, and, and I don't, I don't think you sound arrogant at all. And I'm, I, I might sound arrogant saying this, but I, I it's, this is like a legit thing. It's kind of the Dunning-Kruger effect. You, like she got a little bit of knowledge about what progressive Christianity might be. And then her confidence on the topic went through the roof, but yeah. it's not until you, it's not, it, it, you get, you learn, 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 and more learning. And then you realize how little you learned and how little you knew back then. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so when someone like that goes to whatever, I don't even know what progressive church there would be. Like you said, exactly. it's, not a mo it's not a monolith. <laughs> You're comparing that I mean, when it's like you were steeped in evangelicalism, myself included, I led worship for 10 plus years. I know the biblical arguments for everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. And and that's not that's not an arrogance thing. That's just being there for 25 years in the church for doing Bible studies forever. Like 
you went to one church and you're going to like, I don't, I write for Pathos progressive Christian and I don't even use the term Christian or progressive in my, like in the way I think about faith. I, I probably read more Buddhist literature than anything these days. So it's just, yeah, I, I think I saw uh, at least some snippets of the video you're referring to. And it is uh, it's it is frustrating when people can just be like, oh, this is what it is. And here's why it's wrong. Yeah. And look at even us as an example, like you're hesitant to use that terminology. For me, that terminology is very... Um exciting because like I said, I was calling it my prodigal son journey, this journey of diving into theology and history and context in ways that I'd never been given permission to in the evangelical church. And I like the title because I used to be like, oh, I'm a Christian, but not that kind. (laughs) Like living in LA for my friends, that meant, oh, but I don't hate you for being gay. And I don't judge you for living with your boyfriends. And I'm not cruel was what I meant when I said that. And um, now that I have that title, I love it because it makes me feel like a sense of like, okay, this is an actual thing. But if you look at my and yours experience, like maybe you would essentially consider yourself that maybe, but at the same time, you just said, oh, well, I read a lot of Buddhist literature. So then someone like Alyssa or another person that's out to demonize this movement can just be like, you know, they just give up and then they just start reading all Buddhist literature. And it's like, (laughs) lady, I did not say that like Matt did, but I didn't. And, you know, so it's just, again, not a monolith and they're not listening. I wish they would just settle down and listen. Well, and that's a great point because um, and that, and that is what we tend to do is, and we think, we think in dualistic terms, we think in binary terms. So I'm, I'm not this, so I therefore must be that. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, hold on, hold on. Like I have a Christology. I understand Christian theology um, as, you know, as well as any of the people that I know. I mean, yeah, there's scholars that I know personally that know way more than I do, but it's, but I don't have an interest in being in the scholarly world or in academia or anything like that. But I mean, to, to really understand what I meant by I read Buddha, a lot of Buddhist literature, I think you'd have to really have like a probably an eight to 12 hour conversation with me right. to, to understand that when I say that I read a lot of Buddhism and that I practice Buddhism in my daily life and apply it, that does not negate the fact that me and Jesus are still cool. Like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I love Jesus. I think Jesus is the prototypical human. I think Jesus I think God looks as close to Jesus as we could get. Um, and and I always leave room for us having an error of who God is and who Jesus is and all that. So I just, I just what I mean is I personally don't even think of the label. And I love the fact that you can hold on to this identity and not let uh, cruel Christians snatch it away from you. So kudos to that. Yeah, thank you. Another really good example too is like, they're saying that progressives don't believe in the birth or the resurrection of Jesus and atonement. And even that is such a wide gamut of different opinions. Like I personally do. So then I hear people saying progressives don't. And again, it's just like, sit down and listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, when they say you don't believe in the atonement, it's that you might not believe in Calvin's understanding of atonement theory and then you point out to them, well, there's like nine atonement theories or whatever. Maybe there's right. more, maybe there's less, depending on who you ask. And it's like, well, the one you believe doesn't come around until like the 16th century. And maybe it plays on Anselm's 11th century ideas. But 
my goodness, the Eastern Orthodox have never affirmed anything like the language we use in the evangelical church. And they would kind of laugh at the fact that you're like, well, you don't believe in Orthodox atonement theory. <laughs> you know, right. so it's like, well, hold on. I mean, you just kind of look ignorant when you just spout off all this knowledge about Christianity. And it's kind of like back to this Dunning-Kruger effect. You learned a little bit and now you're making videos and videos and videos. I'm not saying you, I'm saying other people. And maybe in five years, you'll look back and realize how ignorant you were, I'm hoping. Yeah, or or less time, like <laughs> Alyssa, if you listen to this. Uh, if you listen no one listens, Brendan, no one listens to this show, it's fine. <laughs> Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> You're not even recording. This is just like an excuse to have a phone call with me. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I'm just actually like, I, I, I am really just shook from COVID. I need to talk to someone. Have you ever seen uh, Wet Hot American Summer? No. <laughs> okay, never mind. There's like a boy at <laughs> camp who never showers and he has a radio show all summer long. But then at the end of the movie, it's revealed that it's never plugged into anything. <laughs> that you <laughs> is that what you're are you are you accusing me of this no um no this will no, no i have i have some listeners though it's not as popular as god is gray so no, that's I, I i i do have a little bit of jealousy on that um let's talk about your channel when did you start it why did you start it and um like what are uh what are some of the things that you've been focusing on lately on that channel um, yes. So God is Gray originated because I had written a book called On Her Knees and I was shopping it to publishers. Hey now. Yep. Double entendre is real. I love it. <laughs> and uh, the publishers said, we love this material, but there's no audience for it, which is really fascinating because this is about five years ago now. And this is pre-Trump. And I feel like obviously Christianity and this rift that we're having in our own communities has become such like so prevalent in our news and in our politics that all of a sudden it is an understandable thing so my book is coming out in april because it finally all like ended up being what it was meant to be and it's also a completely different version than the one that i originally wrote but anyway when i was shopping it around and getting that response i got frustrated because i was like no, there is an audience. Maybe it's niche, maybe it's small, but I know for a fact other people have have suffered what I have. Like there's no way, there's no audience. So I went on YouTube to try to find, um, and again, didn't have terminology for progressive, didn't know about the existence of anyone in this space. Pete Enns, Rachel Held Evans, Nadia Bowles-Weber, had no idea who any of them were. And I was just searching for LGBTQ affirming churches or sex positive churches. And I was horrified to find a bunch of young, white, blonde girls on YouTube, primarily blonde, <laughs> um, espousing the same doctrine that had hurt me so profoundly from modesty culture. Like if you wear your spaghetti straps too short or too uh, thin, you know, God knows what happens to you. You're causing your brothers to stumble, which equates to rape culture, as we now know. Um, or what really made me pick up the camera, this was my final straw, is I saw a Catholic girl talking about how God is her birth control. And I found it so irresponsible. And because actually abortion is one of my primary points of 
passion, like uh, preventing abortion, helping us not end up in that place, sex education. So when I saw this girl just telling, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers, don't worry about anything, like God's got it. I just had a really divine, honestly, beautiful moment where I was sitting at home and all of a sudden it just came to me in a wave. And I wrote down like 40 topics that I thought I could address and actually looked at the person that I'm with now, who was like not even my boyfriend at the time. He was just a friend. And he was like, where did you go? And I was like, I think I have an idea. It was just, I hate this terminology, but it really was a divine download. That's what happened. Um, <laughs> I really hate it though. Um, it reminds me of like youth pastors with a faux hawk and a hookah shell necklace. <laughs> totally, 100%. But still, I mean, whatever, it's an apt uh, description. So I really moved in that and I felt very much led the whole time. Like God steered me to the title God is Gray, which I always knew would be divisive and confusing and I was arguing with God about that. Like, I don't want to call it that. I'm going to have to defend that title forever. Thank God now most people know what it means. But um, yeah, it just kind of completely spiraled from there in the most beautiful way possible. And now I have my three-year anniversary of God is Gray on February 14th. And we're at like 113,000 subscribers um, on YouTube. And I've had beautiful conversations with so many different authors and just people with different life experiences. And I have learned so much. It's been such a privilege to continue this prodigal son journey of just discovery and learning and, and getting to glean from other people's expertise and not having to be the expert on any, everything myself, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you just almost get to be like the uh, the facilitator, if you will. Yeah, definitely. But I'm also yeah. a huge justice person. That's always been my main thing. So my last video I just did was on Sean Foyt's super spreader events because that kid is driving me insane. And, um, you know, where I see injustice, God is Gray is also about calling out that and toxic theologies and the ways that we are being misled by our Christian leaders. Yeah, I uh, I saw a um, a shirt that that dude did on. It was like a Jesus Christ super spreader. Yep, he's and, and I just thought like like wow, and the shirt it was like it was like thirty bucks or forty bucks for a damn t shirt. And which is yeah. a problem in, in and of itself, I think. Mm -hmm. But but it was like you're making money on a playoff. Uh, what what's going on with COVID? Where like hundreds of thousands of people have died in the states, and and you're a part of the problem by having these events where they are super spreader events, and then you're making money on it. And it was just like. All the things that are wrong with Christianity summed up into one like one ball of grossness. Yeah. Sean to me really symbolizes um, the unchecked power and arrogance of the evangelical church. Like he is just a guy that obviously has a big personality and can play a guitar. And my perspective and what I've heard from Bethel insiders is that, you know, characters like that are just rewarded just for having the personality that they do. And they are platformed and elevated to the point where they can do no wrong, it looks like. Like every time anyone calls them out on Instagram, and I'm talking about really sweet-hearted, 
15 year old Christian girls being like, Hey, Sean, I love your music. Can you please like explain to me why you don't see the problem and what you're doing? You know, like really sweet comments. And he just blocks everyone and calls us trolls. And, you know, I, it's again, that echo chamber of we are doing no wrong. We don't even have to listen. And he is a really, again, good example of the embodiment of everything that's wrong with evangelicalism, because he also talks about vilifying George Floyd as a drug addict and, you know, saying, oh, pro-choice people would care about unborn babies if, you know, they dressed up as criminals in the womb because we only care about capital punishment. And he just constantly is creating division, making enemies of people that are trying to do good in this world and propping himself up as the answer. And again, that's, he really just looks like the embodiment of all the things that have driven me crazy about this the whole time. Also, obviously, anti-LGBTQ, trying to get his fingers all over government, not properly doing separation of church and state, like him and the Bethel community, which I don't believe he's affiliated with anymore, but he definitely started there, again, are really the embodiment of, of the problems that I've seen for decades in our in our evangelical church. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, I'm only about an hour and 20 minutes south of the, the Bethel Reading campus. And, um, <laughs> I have <laughs> I've debated going up there just once just to observe, but I I, I I don't have a prescription for um, anti vomiting medication, so I I haven't gone yet. <laughs> I think I, it's I, over I, the counter, so go. <laughs> yeah, and and I just I I want to be doused in feathers and gold dust and all that. So um, <laughs> you know, I mean, what what are we going to expect from a non accredited university or school or whatever it is? Yeah, and also <laughs> let's point out the the reality too. So you have um, Benny Johnson, her daughter did this very sarcastic, like in your face, anti-masking Instagram story. Yeah. I did a video about this as well, about the separation of church and state. They're all advertising Donald Trump from their platforms openly, flagrantly, and you know, which is fine. You're allowed to have a political lean as a Christian, um, but according to tax-exempt status, you're not allowed to be promoting that online. Also, too, um, what word am I looking for? Spiritually abusing and manipulating people into vote a particular way. Because if you say Chris Valentin, for example, said that Donald Trump would not only not be impeached, but he would win a second term, both of which ended up being false prophecies. You know, if you're sitting in that congregation and you're a vulnerable listener, that gives you no autonomy over your own vote or your own ability to have an opinion for yourself because your leader who you trust is telling you Trump is president, thus saith the Lord. And that to me is just despicable. And it's not even about me being anti-Trump. I would be just as disgusted if someone was preaching that about Joe Biden. But to my original point, I didn't see any progressives prophesying that Biden would win. And again, none of us are tax exempt, even though I'm thinking I should maybe work towards that status. If they can have it, I should too. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just all of it. <laughs> I, and going back again to not understanding your own history, like in Judaism, prophets were not guessers. It had nothing to do with guessing or mm-hmm. like, I mean, these people are just guessing who they want to be in charge. And it's like, 
a big part of the prophetic tradition was critiquing those in charge. That's why Jesus would say such a thing as no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you critique the priest, you critique the king. Like no one in charge wants to be critiqued. Like, so if Mm -hmm. you want to be a real prophet, you, well, first of all, you don't call yourself one probably. And second of all, you don't, it's not about making guesses. Cause then, I mean, I don't know how these people, it's like the rapture prediction. How many, how many times we have to have failed predictions and people will still give them their money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also too, I think the last thing I'd want to say about it is the concept of COVID again, there seemed to be this massive rift in Bethel where some people were anti-maskers and Chris Ballatin, for example, was a pro-masker and saying like he felt it was the loving thing to do to protect your neighbor simultaneously to Sean Foyt doing this super spreader on mask worship tour. And so there are people in that space that believe it or that don't, but even at the supernatural school of ministry, which sounds very Harry Potter <laughs> to me. It, it does. Like you, you just need the word wizard in there somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, they had a massive COVID outbreak at that school. And then Benny Johnson, the head pastor or head pastor's wife, I don't know what her title is, um, had to apologize for her anti-masking in public, you know, snarky mean video that she made and um and also too i want to mention that sean foyt does believe in covid and we see that because he'll post things where he says there's a 99 percent survival rate and my point is like oh so you do believe in covid you just think the over three hundred thousand people that died aren't as relevant as your message which again is is nothing but arrogant there's no other way i can see that yeah, it's just it's 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 unfortunate that the argument on on COVID is is presented in such a way where it's you're either on this side or this side. And I will say like I'm more in the middle. Like I think that art you can have an argument about whether the lockdowns the way they were enforced were positive or negative. Uh because I had I had some issues with the way some of the lockdowns were done in California like the whole time you could go to Walmart and Target for essential items and people were shopping for non-essential items, yet Ma and Pa stores were shut down. So that could be, but, but the right. fact that people, the fact that people then take the arguments, it's like, so what if 99% of the, if 99% of the people right now dropped dead, that's millions and millions of people. Wouldn't you want to prevent that? Like, I don't know how a percentage of, oh, this many percent of people survive from it. Well, yeah, of all people, but what about elderly people? What about what about the most vulnerable among us? Like, it, it just seems like you have a cold heart if that's the angle you pursue. Yeah, and I actually went to Sean's event on Skid Row, which is one of the last two remaining homeless communities in our nation. And I do agree with you. Like, I think COVID was horribly mismanaged nationwide and in California specifically as well for all the reasons that you're saying. But Sean forced himself on us. Like, I 
talked to and saw people on the ground who have been advocating for Skid Row for decades. There was a pastor there that was shouting and preaching for Sean's people to go away and to put on masks. And I did my research on him, and he's been working down there for 14 years with his ministry. So if Sean and his people were genuine, remotely genuine, they would have teamed up with the community and said, what do you guys need? Versus going in with a lack of consent, stirring discord and and hatred and something that could have even devolved into violence, which surely they would have blamed on us and not themselves. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's just like, where is Christ in that? Like to your point. And also, like you said, if your standard is for-profit airlines, like so many of his people are like, if we can pack planes, we can worship downtown. And it's like, um, why is your barometer for what's right and wrong and moral in this pandemic based on for-profit industries that we can never rely on to do the right thing? Like politicians don't always do the right thing. As a matter of fact, often they do the wrong thing. Like, why are we the church comparing ourselves to these people? We're supposed to be outside of that. We're supposed to be doing something different. Yeah, I, I made a similar point in a recent article for Pathios about, about freedom and human volition and free will. And and I'm of the belief that we don't have the type of free will that we, we think about um, in the, you know, the post-enlightenment world. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that true freedom is found in doing the good. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we always clamor about, well, it's my free right. It's my, I, I'm a free American. And it's like, well, if you if you were truly free, you would be like, what is the decision in this given this conversation that is more compassion, more empathy, more other centric? And then if you do that and that's what you want to do, then that's kind of a sign that you truly are free. You're not enslaved to this egoic mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I do not like wearing a mask. I don't I mean, I guess I could pretend I'm a ninja or like an old West bandit and it'd be cool, but I don't do that. And I don't think it's fashionable. And sometimes I sweat and I get like, I'm almost 40 and I still get zits. So I don't know how that, I don't know how that works, but wait, are you, you still know, going in public without masks? No, I'm going in public with a mask and I'm saying, I don't like it. Okay. I, it I, it's an inconvenience <laughs> to me, but so what? Like, you know what? Like that is so minor and, and sure there are always outliers who shouldn't be wearing masks. There's always an outlier for something, but for the most of us, for the rest of us, we should be slightly inconvenienced for the sake of other people that is that would be the christ-centered thing to do right yeah and also just the difference of narratives and i think it really again goes back to the difference between evangelicalism and progressivism which is that evangelicalism to me forever has been about the show the lights the fog machines the fame the fortune all of that that does not equate to God's favor. Clout does not mean that God is on your side. You know, you can still be doing the wrong thing and have clout and and money. Um, but the progressive side of it is what these pastors were doing. Um, this guy named Pat, uh, Pastor Q and this other guy, Reverend Troy Vaughn, who've been working downtown. Their ministries have been alive for over a decade, and it is slow. You know, it's not about the showmanship. It's not about showing up, dropping down, like, downtown for a second and watching someone walk out of their wheelchair. Yeah, that would be beautiful, but you know what? Progressivism is about that slow burn. The hard, hard, hard hard-ass work of seeking justice does not happen 
in one second usually. Like you can play music and make an emotional plea. You can make someone cry and supposedly give themselves over to Jesus, but then you bail and you've spread more COVID and more disease. You've gotten more famous, more money in your pocket, and you've essentially done nothing except get an emotional plea and get a good photo op. And, and that's why so many of us are leaving the church in droves. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Cause this isn't saying, you know, it's the whole thing. Like, it's amazing that I often get attacked for not dying to myself because I'm living with someone that I'm not married to, but I'm like dying to yourself also means abiding by stay at home orders and not worrying about your fame for five seconds and actually doing the right thing, you know? Yeah. It seems our focus has been so, um, so miss, I, I don't know how I want to say it. Like we, we've been focusing so much on the wrong things and, and often it's, it's what other people are, are not doing the way we have kind of um, built this, this empire of Christianity and you have to do this and you can't do that. And it's like, gosh, it just seems like, like the focus was so different in the early church. And I'm not going to pretend historically that they were perfect by any means, nor unified, nor unified, but there was a focus of other orientedness, regardless of, of where you're personally at. It's, it's about compassion and love and empathy. And, 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 and the minute I think it just seems like Christianity in America is more American than it is Christian. And I don't know who I'm quoting, so it's not me who said that, but I've heard that before. It might've been Keith Giles. Um, but it does seem true. It's more like the ideals of American exceptionalism seems to be front and center rather than the historic church. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when you learn your history, it becomes fascinating. Like when you learn the history of how Jesus became painted white um, and how that was just to help white people basically relate to the ministry, but then all of a sudden it's alienating and it's not showing the true symbol of who he actually was or like what he looked like. Um, or even I watched this fascinating um, documentary the other night about the history of the image of Satan and how much our our notion of what hell is supposed to look like really just comes down to these artists that were painting in the cathedrals in in venice and rome and it's just like now we've solidified it now at you know 21 years old somewhere in idaho you as this young girl could be like so i know exactly what satan looks like and the bible never changes and you're like honey pie (laughs) there's a whole history to this yeah yeah there certainly is and i'm glad you're doing the work that you're doing on your channel Uh, my only concern is that you you've you're scraping the bottom of the barrel because you recently had me on. And so I, I guess, I guess you're down to, you're down, to, you're down to schmucks. Like, oh, really? I thought you were going to be like, no, it's okay. You're great. Damn I'm it. Teasing. Well, I haven't gotten to release it yet, but I mean, every, I mean, first of all, you're awesome and your perspective is very valid and, and wonderful. Um, but that's what I love too. Everybody has a story. You don't have to be famous and have a bunch of clout to have something beautiful to teach us. One of the most wonderful conversations I had was this girl, um, not girl, a woman uh, named Jolie Ferwerda, who did a bunch of research on hell simply because her young daughter was asking her incredibly 
profound questions that she couldn't answer, you know, just the dissonance of like, wait, why are you telling me God is love, but he would throw someone in eternal damnation for X, Y, and Z. So she was, is a nurse and she just set herself on this path of research and wrote a beautiful book called Raising Hell. And she really breaks down the theology and everything. But even with that, uh, she mentioned, she was like, you know, who am I? I'm just a nurse somewhere that no one knows of, but is that not who Jesus always chooses? Like the, the really unexpected, non-flashy person is often the one that has so much we can learn from. Yeah, I'm glad you had Julie on. She's great. I'm, I've, I've gotten to know her a tiny bit online. You should have um, her on too. She's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely will. I think we've also had a conversation about bringing her on Heretic Happy Hour as well. Um, so yeah, she's, she's great. So I'm glad you had her on there and, um, her book, not to be confused with raising hell, R A Z I N G by Sharon Baker. Uh I I think similar premise though, both, both, um, kind of condemning the doctrine of eternal torment in their Mm -hmm. own way. Uh, Sharon is more scholarly, I would, I would imagine, but, um, both great at what they do. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I guess last thing here, uh, make sure you tell all 10 of my listeners. No, there's more than that, I swear. Um, where where they can, I mean, where they can, you know, follow your YouTube channel uh, and when and where they'll be able to purchase uh, your provocative book and maybe tell, tell them a little bit about what that book's about. Yeah, I actually... Um... Just confirmed that Joshua Harris is writing the forward for me. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, he wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, when he was 21 years old. Um, Yeah, yeah. That really set the tone of what evangelicals considered to be the Christian sexual ethic, which frankly is not whatsoever Bible-based, and yet it became... (laughs) you know, the monster that it became. So it's really beautiful because mine is essentially, like I said, this prodigal son journey of living in LA and and holding on to my faith while asking myself these big questions. And it's mostly based in uh, sexuality and exploration because that's definitely my Achilles heel. Um, but I really did the work of breaking down different concepts and just asking a lot of questions of people. And my hope and prayer is that people resonate, they'll see themselves in the book, because I know that all the details of our stories can vary and be different, but the basis and the foundation and and a lot of the problems that it created in our lives are very similar, if not the same. So mm. um, it's available for pre-sale now. Pre-sales really, really help authors uh, get boosted. So I'd love if you picked it up immediately. But if not, it's out on April 6th. There's also going to be an audiobook version. And um, I'm at God is Gray um, on Instagram and then youtube.com slash God is Gray. Perfect. And I'll make sure to link in the show notes for those listening. And Brenda, I will get a link. If you have a link for your book, I'll throw that in the show notes too. And I would encourage, I mean, you're doing the kind of work like Linda K. Klein is doing and Nadia. And I think it's it's beautiful that people who have been, um, pardon my word, uh, thrust into evangelicalism. <laughs> Another double entendre, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know. 
um, and then have, you know, kind of come out of it and they can speak really powerfully to what that world was like. I think it's amazing work that uh, you and others are doing. So I would encourage people to to go check you out. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Thank and you, yet- 10 plus people. Love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see your subscriptions go through the roof. After this. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on and I'll hit you with a link when it's done. And thank you for giving me your time. Okay. Love you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I would just reiterate, head on over if you're, everyone watches YouTube, right? So head on over to YouTube, look up God is Gray, subscribe to her channel, all 10 of you listening, um, and really boost her numbers for her because she's struggling, unlike this show, which is just blowing the fuck up. I don't even know how I keep up with... <laughs> Self-deprecation is, is, my, um, is my hidden power. I would make a great stand-up comedian. And I would just shit all over myself for an hour. Netflix would give me a special. It would be fucking fantastic. Because um, who doesn't who doesn't like watching someone uh, berate themselves? Um, just not too harshly. Let's not get cringed like Michael Scott does in The Office. Um, but again, thank you so much, uh, Brenda, for coming on the show. And, uh, and talking about all the good stuff that we talked about. I hope people take it to heart. Alyssa, if you're listening... <laughs> <laughs> give it a give it a shot. Uh listen to people who are progressive Christians. Uh like Brenda said, it is not a monolithic voice. Unlike uh unlike maybe some evangelical churches. You know what's so funny is that and I and I've been guilty of doing this of of even turning evangelicalism into a monolithic voice. <clears throat> and evangelicals don't like that. And to be fair, I don't blame them. Uh, because not all evangelicals are created equal. There are certainly some that are not as fundamentalist as, you know, no one wants to be equated with the Westboro Baptist Church or Pastor Steve Anderson or, or stupid motherfuckers like that. But um, let's not turn it around and say that all progressives are uh, are created equal because I don't even know what progressive Christianity is. And, and and I find it ironic, obviously, I write for the Progressive Christianity channel on Patheos, but just just knowing the people on there, Jason Elam, Keith Giles, Richard Murray, Brad Jersak, uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber, they, and, and myself included, they are so different from one another in terms of their, their, their theology. Yeah, yeah. Hey, little John. Will you don't interrupt my podcast? This is a very professional show. <laughs> Lil John just agrees. He's agree. He agrees with me. He's my hype man. My hype man right now. Uh, <laughs> that's the stupidest ringtone. Um, what was I saying? God damn it, Lil John. <laughs> we are as diverse as you could get on the Patheos Progressive Christian Channel, and there's people like Keith and, and Jason Elam who like they do not. Do not concede the the label Christian. Uh, same with Katie Valentine on on the Heretic Happy Hour. Like she is a Christian. She that that is her identity. Same with Brenda. Like we just talked about myself. I don't think of the term, and yet I kind of fall into that progressive Christian. Um, I guess camp, if you will. But it's so loosely defined. So 
that's that's one thing that you just got to remember. And and another thing is like you can pretend that you know what something is, but you don't really know what something is until you live it. And so on the one hand, like Brenda and myself, we've been evangelicals for a long time. We know that because we lived it, not just because we went to one of the churches and did a sociology experiment, but we lived it. And God fucking damn it. I'm getting all these interruptions here. <laughs> I'm going to leave them in uh, just so everyone sees the process. Um, we've lived that experience. We've lived that experience. So don't go to one what you call progressive Christian church and think that you know what it is. I lived 25 years as an evangelical. I know it. Brenda, she knows it. Other people who have like deconstructed out of there, they know it. But you, Mr. Evangelical or Miss Evangelical, if you just take a snapshot of what you think progressive Christianity is, um, or the emergent church, or what Rob Bell, you know, all these kind of, um, you know, people who have moved on from that world. If you just take a snapshot, it's like reading a manual and saying you know how to ride a bike. But you don't know how to ride a bike until you ride a bike. Um, it's it's a different kind of knowing. It's a, it's a phenomenological, tacit knowledge, firsthand knowledge, uh, knowing. So go read Michael Polanyi, the, uh, the philosopher who uh, coined the term, I believe, tacit knowledge. Like, you can't say you ride a bike until you get on the bike and learn how to ride a bike. You can't just read about it can't just take a snapshot of it and be like, oh, I know what that is. I know how to ride that. To say, I know how to ride a bike, you got to know how to ride a bike. So how do we, so, so it comes down to what kind of knowing is it? So, you know, Alyssa, I know you're listening. You're one of the many millions of people who listen to this show. Um, think about that. And maybe I'll bring you on the show and we can talk about uh, what you think progressive Christianity is. I will not hold my breath. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone, Alyssa included. Thanks, Brenda, for coming on the show. Thank you to my Patreon supporters who finance this piece of shit that I call a podcast. <laughs> Love y'all. See you next week. Bye. Bye.